Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, to hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions change their careers, what relationships influence their work. Thank you. This week, we're doing something different. A couple of months back, I had the great honor of talking with Dustin Hoffman as part of the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival in Hollywood. At the festival, we screen some of the greatest films of all time, and much of Dustin Hoffman's work fits that description. We selected Lenny, the 1974 film, in which Hoffman portrays the groundbreaking but troubled comedian and social critic Lenny Bruce, who had died eight years prior of a drug overdose while battling ongoing obscenity charges. We decided to show this movie about Lenny Bruce at 11.30 in the morning. We're going to show Tootsie at midnight. We thought we'd mix it up a bit here at the TCM Festival and... Uh... Lenny, shot in black and white by director Bob Fosse, was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director for Fosse, Best Actress for Valerie Perrine, and Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman. We're all the same schmuck. <laughs> and it just cracks me up that we try so desperately to be unique when we're all the same. Cat Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, me, you, every cat has got that one chick who really busted up his ass. I'm kind of speechless whenever I see this film. I've seen it a lot. Which, that doesn't come in handy when you have to interview somebody after the film to be <laughs> rendered speechless. But uh, I, I don't want to labor this too much, but uh, you know, th this is a movie actor who is unlike any other of the last 75 years. You know, there's a lot of great film stars and there's a lot of great actors working, especially through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and on beyond that. And, but few of them took the chances to become a different person so many times in films and transform themselves physically emotionally, psychologically, um, their voice, uh, you know, to inhabit a character. I don't think there's another actor alive in the film business in the last uh, several years who transformed themselves again and again, and then would play something very close to themselves, their own speech, their own behavior. 
perhaps their voice uh, in All the President's Men and in uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> please. Um, but I just want to uh, say that, that this is a, a person I've admired uh, on the deepest level for a long, long time. And it's my great pleasure to ask you to join me in welcoming Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when you make films like this, uh, I mean, you've worked, you've made so many great films and worked with so many great directors. Was Fosse someone, was that a goal for you two to work with Fosse? No. <laughs> How was it to work with Fosse? Tough. <laughs> tough. Tough. Uh, uh, Bob was a, uh, originally a choreographer. And choreographers uh, don't have dancers coming up to them saying, what's my motivation? <laughs> <laughs> they dancers do what they're told. Right. You know, he tried uh, to be in a sense, to uh, collaborate, but it was tough for him, and it was tough for me. We had a tough time. Does he like to do a lot of takes? Uh, yes, both yeah. of us did. The script, I thought, was problematic, so I, I wasn't that anxious to do it. We went into rehearsal with the principal actors with the wonderful Valerie Perrine. <laughs> Extraordinary performance. And uh, with Valerie, myself, and you know, Jane Minor, and I think Stanley Beck, we're in New York in a room, and it's going rough, uh, the rehearsal. And after five days, we started on Monday, after five days, we were rehearsing routines, we were rehearsing scenes, and on Friday, Bob Fosse says, we don't have a, a movie, we don't have a script. See on Monday. So we rehearsed two weeks or three weeks, and we thought it was gonna be shelved went home and came back Monday, and he says, I solved it. And he interspersed it. He says, I'm gonna intersperse it with interviews, because these scenes, there's no connective tissue to them. They don't connect. So Stanley Beck, who was wonderful in it, my manager, uh, Valerie Pete, thank you. Uh, uh, Stanley and I were close friends since we were beginning actors. Uh, and Valerie Perrine and uh, Jan Minor are going, I think that's all it is, isn't it? Those three are going to be interviewed throughout the movie and, he'll, he, and I'll have an easier time of shooting it. By the way, that's Bob Fosse asking the questions. <clears throat> now, when, when you make a film like this, and, or any of the films you've made, I should say, do you have any kind of unique relationship or a specific relationship with the cinematographer, Surtees? This film was nominated for six Academy Awards and in every one of the major categories you would imagine, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, uh, Best Screenplay and Cinematography for Surtees, who made his reputation shooting a lot of Clint Eastwood's films for many, many years. Bob Surtees was one of the great cinematographers, Robert Surtees. He was the cinematographer of The Graduate. Right. Bruce is a son. Is a son, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> no, we were good. So you friends. work with the father and the son tandem. Yes. So when you shoot a film, 
Do you have a specific relationship with cinematographers when you make a film or no? No, I don't. Uh, I don't want to know uh, where the camera is in terms of... Uh, I do ask about lenses sometimes if I want my hands to do something and I say, where are you cutting? Where's your bottom frame? Because if, it, if it's here, uh, also I'd have to have my hands up here to have it in the shot. Other than that, I don't really want to know. It's interesting that you, you say that, Alec, because one of the things I objected to with, with Bob is that he posed me. And when you see it, it's gorgeous. So he was right and I was wrong. <laughs> but, you know, I'd be up there and I'd work so hard on these routines. Uh, I had never seen Lenny Bruce. Bob had never seen Lenny Bruce. Uh, Mike Nichols, who I talked to uh, before I did it, because he'd done The Graduate, he and Elaine May were acting uh, upstairs uh, on Sunset Boulevard. Was it called a duplex or something? No, no. Nightclub. And Lenny Bruce was downstairs. And in between their acts, they would come downstairs and watch Bruce, because no comedian, they said, would do a whole show improvising. You know, sometimes you do two minutes, three minutes, and the rest is your, is your stuff. But Lenny would come out and not know what he was going to say. Uh, I think uh, the only two comedians I know uh, since Lenny that, that do that, one was Rob. One was Robin Williams. And uh, the other one was a wonderful Billy Connolly. And neither of them, uh, many times, would just, they would just go. Uh, and that's, that takes a lot. What was the question? <laughs> um, the, um, Sorry. We were talking about cinematographers. And oh, you posing, so, yeah, so he posing you. Me and I worked hard. I got the 33 RPMs that Lenny had made. That's what we called them then. We didn't call them vinyls. And uh, I'd lay down on the floor, and I would play I had three months, I had about three months, and I did every, uh, you know, I wrote down uh, longhand every single line he said in all the records. And he, even the ones he did over, he would always deviate, and I would write them down, and then I would go to Bob uh, Fossey, and I'd say, geez, I like what he did here, because he used these sentences, or he used that. And I was promised, and I think that's what I got so upset about, that I would be able to shoot it. We were going to shoot it, and I think that's what Bob wanted. We were going to shoot it in different clubs uh, in Florida and with live audiences, and that's what I wanted. I want to be able to really feel like I'm doing it with a real audience, and he'll have, whatever, three, four cameras at once. He agreed, and that's what we were supposed to do, and then it's probably money wouldn't allow it. So it was quite laborious sometimes to do these uh, routines over and over again, and he would tilt the camera. He would go, he'd be like where you are, and I'd be on the stage. He'd say, okay, now look a little bit this way, now look up, now look down. Okay, now do the routine from here to here. And, you know, it kind of broke my heart because I was trying to be the guy. You know, Fosse is, is a, was a great, great artist. And uh, it's funny because I just saw a, a film recently with, uh, that Alfred Hitchcock directed with Cary Grant. 
And uh, Cary Grant said he'd never work with Hitchcock again after the first picture because they didn't get along because Hitchcock didn't like to collaborate. But then they made up and they made more movies. And but I'm you sure say that, that, that uh, Lenny Bruce was not someone you had been a fan of or had a no, big I, awareness of before the film, I, or you had? No, no, I just, I was in New York. I just never saw him. Uh, we couldn't have, uh, you know, I mean, before I was uh, successful, we couldn't afford to go to nightclubs, right. you know, they were, they were, it was yeah. expensive. And uh, uh, I, I love, uh, the jazz is what's so extraordinary. I, I was next to you, jazz never dates. <laughs> jazz is the same now as it was then. It's just, God, I, Beautiful score. Oh, and, uh, and I had time, uh, no, I didn't, I had never seen him. I had never seen, I don't think, any comedian. I didn't go to nightclubs much. And I went out to LA, because someone said to me, if you want to know Lenny Bruce, uh, you got to go see Sally Marr, his mother, who, who was alive. And I went, she was very friendly. Uh, she introduced me to one of his best friends who we used to shoot up with. And he, in turn, introduced me to friends of Lenny. And I had a tape recorder, you know, like a wall and not a wall and like a pearl tape recorder. And I taped everything, and she says, you want to go to Vegas? Because they're all there, all his friends, Buddy Hackett, other people. And I said, oh my God, yes. And I was taking all these notes. It was the best time of research I ever had. They all said the same thing, uh, except Buddy Hackett. Um, uh, they said, you know, you know Broadway, Danny Rose, that thing that Woody Allen did, you know? And they used to get together, the comedians, Lenny and these guys, when they were, you know, certain, whether it was, I don't know, Cantors or, uh, and they said, they'd sit around, do what they did in, uh, you know, tell jokes, and they'd suddenly look around, and Lenny was always very quiet, and suddenly he's gone, because he was a shy guy, apparently. And he's gone, and they look around, they don't know where he is, and then they find him in the kitchen, talking to the people that work in the kitchen to help. He loved to just talk to the people and, and ask questions and find out stuff. I think he originally, this is just stuff I had heard, uh, they kind of say it in the movie, the musicians were more important to him than the audience. Because when you do show after show after show, he, if you notice, the musicians are always sitting like that, you know, because they- They you know, sing with the most. Yes. I saw you of Vaughn Monroe, <laughs> and, uh, and Lenny, uh, Lenny felt that if he could crack up the musicians, then he was getting somewhere. I think he wanted to be uh, in Hollywood. It'd be, he wanted to be an actor also, I had heard. You shot this movie where? We shot a lot of it in Florida. The nightclubs, the stage work? Yeah, one nightclub, basically, I think. The, the scene when we were sitting next to each other, the scene up there where I'm in my raincoat, and... Uh, uh, and you pointed I, out to me. Yes. When I came back after my three months, I had all this stuff to give Bob. You gotta put this in, you gotta put that in, you gotta put that. And the one thing that he kept was that scene. And the reason he did is when I was memorizing, it was in an, you know, this is before the kind of media, you know, you had all the cell phones and all this texting. I, some guy heard I was doing the movie. And he had been a student uh, somewhere in Chicago. And he sent me, found out my, my business address in New York, and he sent me a cassette, and I played it, word for word, 
it's that scene. And I got pissed off at, at Bob because when he, he shot the master from upstairs, right in the back, and when I saw it, I said, you didn't cut in, you didn't cut in. And he says, no. So that's eight minutes you know, of, of being up there just in one shot. One shot. And again, he was, he was right. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, nice of you to admit that, actually. <laughs> it's very generous. I you. admit a lot of stuff 40 years later. <laughs> Now, but, but do you think, do you think in your, I mean, obviously you're someone who when you, uh, I mean, I don't believe in anything I read, but I mean, but, but, uh, you no, I really people. don't. Me of all people, I really, uh, I, uh, I, I try to minimize that in my life if I can, but, but the, um, but, but for you, obviously, you know, very fastidious and very, very, lots of questions and lots of seeking and so forth in the work you were doing. And, and what do you think that comes from in terms of, all the films you've made from Graduate on into Cowboy and everything like that, where you just seem so, what's the word? I mean, you're so... Jewish. Uh, <laughs> is that it? I'll convert if that's, the, if it's that simple. I'm going to convert tomorrow if that's what's going to get me into your stratosphere. But, oh, yeah. but, the, but, but the thing is, you, you just seem like you, should, you always have something to prove. Yes. A lot of people got where you got, and they did what you did, and you scored with these performances and the originality. But then you keep going, and you still feel like you have Did you feel that way? You still have something to prove again and again and again? What drove you? I guess the same thing that still drives me. Kobe Bryant was... Uh, interviewed recently, it was before he you know, had to step out for the season because he hurt himself. I, I saw the interview and I wrote it down. I told my son Jake, uh, it was basketball, same question. You know, all these years of great basketball playing and you still spend so much time practicing and playing, whatever, why? And he said, I guess for the challenge of every day. It's a beautiful sentence. <laughs> I, do, uh, I have only one slight personal connection to Lenny Bruce, and that, and that is that Marvin Worth was a dear friend of yes. mine. He died in 1998. The produ producer. He produced this film. He produced uh, Malcolm X with Spike. He produced a lot of great... And he was Bruce's manager. Uh, Marvin Worth, who was from Brooklyn, and his wife, Joan, they were from Brooklyn, and he had the, one of the heaviest New York accents I've ever heard in my life. His voice was down here, he had a very heavy accent like this. And he said to me, I'm going to revive Lenny on Broadway, and I want you to do, play Lenny. I go, what? And he said, uh, I, he goes, I got a thousand hours of tapes of Lenny. I got uh, Julian Barry, we got so much material of Lenny's. He says, there's so much stuff we can put in there. Now, don't worry about that, it's all going to work like a charm. And I go, and he goes, and you, and Dusty, he calls you Dusty. Dusty's not the only one who can play that part, by the way. <laughs> He's not the only person who can play that part. I'm like, uh-huh, sure. And he goes, and he goes, uh, he goes, and I go, but what about the other thing? He goes, what other thing? I go, what about the other thing? He goes, what other thing? What other thing? What other thing? I go, I'm not Jewish. He said, you're from Long Island, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you're halfway there. The rest of it will take care of itself. Don't worry about it. And I, what he, he would have been wonderful. <laughs> but when you did this film, how involved in your films were you before, then, later, in the casting? 
Oh, I have to tell you, I'm glad you asked me. It's a, another example of, of Fosse's genius, uh, is that I met Honey Bruce, uh, and uh, uh, which came first? I met, he cast Valerie Perrine before he met Honey Bruce, and then he met her, and then I met her, we didn't, you know, not together, and I couldn't believe, Honey Bruce, that Valerie was the reincarnation of Honey Bruce. Oh. Literally. I mean, it could have been like mother and daughter. I was, he, and I said, Bob, you, you had to have met, met uh, Honey Bruce before you cast Valerie. He says, no. It was just this intuition. I had nothing to do with any of the casting. Except, all, except, all your films, you were that way. Oh, oh, all of, except Stanley. He was nice enough to, to have Stanley in it for my manager. In all my films, uh, yeah, I mean, The Graduate, uh, they've been trying for two years uh, to cast it, and uh, Catherine Ross and myself were the last two to screen test after two years, and I heard that they were sitting in the screen room, not particularly excited about our screen test, and I says, well, either we go with them or we don't do it, and it was that kind of a... That, they've said that in interviews. I think Larry Terman said that, the, the producer. And uh, Midnight Cowboy, uh, he, uh, he cast, uh, he didn't cast John Voight. He cast some, someone else, and they wouldn't let him out of his contract. And after that happened, I said, please see my friend John Voight. We weren't close friends, but we'd been off Broadway together. And he says, no, John Sessinger said, he read for it, and he doesn't have that Texas accent. He was from Yonkers. I says, yeah, but he's an actor. He can get it, you know. <laughs> and John immediately went down to Texas, forgot where, with a tape recorder, and spent whatever time, and came back and, and uh, read for it, and he got the part. But he was uh, second choice. Kate Jackson was the first choice for Kramer versus Kramer. She was in Charlie's Angels, and they were saying, oh, the film will pay back itself before we start shooting, because they, they were so popular. And then the studio wouldn't let her out. So I kept telling them about this Meryl Streep I had heard about. <laughs> uh, and, they saw, and they saw her. So there's been a few I've suggested. I've, I've never uh, demanded or you know, I don't, I don't think that works, actually, yeah. unless you're directing or producing. Well, some people, some people, they have these approvals of casting, and, they, and they, they utilize that in whatever way. And then there's other people who they just don't get involved. They just, like, they just let that all take care of itself, and the, it doesn't really change what they do, you know. Duval and Hackman and I knew each other from the early days. They're much older. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we never worked together. And uh, suddenly I'm doing this thing a few years ago, we're shooting in New Orleans, a runaway jury, and I have a, I think, a supporting part, and Gene Hackman has a leading part in it. And the director finds out that we knew each other. We went to the Pasadena Playhouse together until he got kicked out <laughs> after three months for not having any talent. And, uh, oh my God, you guys know each other for all this time? 30 years? Yeah. We gotta do a scene. So they wrote a scene. It's, it's one of the last scenes in the movie. It takes place in a public bathroom. It's like an eight-page dialogue scene. And afterwards, it was the last thing they shot in the movie. It's over. And Gene and I say, let's go out and get drunk. 
and uh, we go to an Italian restaurant in New Orleans, and we're getting drunk, and Hackman says, were you scared? I said, I was so scared, man. I thought, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget my lines. He said he felt exactly the same way. You know, because you are what you are at the beginning. You don't really change. We were unemployed actors for 10 years. And he said to me, and I, one of the great things I ever said, we were this close to each other. He says, do you, do you feel the same way I do after you finish a movie? And he, he probably had made 120 movies. Uh, I said, what? Do you feel like you'll never work again. <laughs> yeah, of course. Every single time, that yeah. that's it. After five decades of consistently winning roles every actor dreams of, Hoffman's fears of joblessness remain charming. His latest film, The Program, about Lance Armstrong, will be released later this year. Listen to other episodes of Here's the Thing in our archives, like my conversation with Dick Cavett, whose career as an iconic talk show host includes a 1968 TV interview with hot young newcomer Dustin Hoffman, fresh off his film The Graduate, the tape of which may or may not exist. There are several, several versions of what really happened. I just remember being told one day, Dick, they're going to either reuse the tapes or erase them or dump them. When and you I say said, that, what tapes? The, the ones to the ABC show. And you can have them, if you want to, for $60 each. And I thought, well, that's a ludicrous amount of money. Yeah. But. Take a listen at heresthething.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian Cocktail Maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. 
That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Today, recorded live at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood as part of the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival. Dustin Hoffman has been nominated for the Oscar for Best Actor seven times. He's won the award twice. Actors strive for depth and range in their work. Hoffman makes this appear effortless. There's obviously roles you played, like Kramer versus Kramer and All the President's Men. And you seem, it's, I don't know what word to use, it seems closer to who you are, your voice and your appearance and your, the psychologics of it. You're playing, playing a contemporary character. You're not playing somebody with some disability or what have you. It's not Rain Man or someone who's damaged and broken like Cowboy and so forth like that. But you've done both. There's a, there's a theatricality to the roles and a vividness to them. And you're not afraid to do that. Where does that come from? From being in the theater? Yeah, I mean, I, where are you from? Long, I, thought, I told you, I'm from Long Island. Oh, you're fuck? from I just fucking told you. I'm from fucking Long Island. <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? So how? No, Long Island. First of all, I wish we lived in the same city. <laughs> how old were you when you started studying act? Twenty-two. And when they sent you out, they sent you out for certain kinds of parts. Yeah. Y- young leading men. Yeah, or? young guys who cried a lot or whatever. Oh. <laughs> I'm the short Jew and uh, still with some acne, and I come to New York in 1958 to study. And they always said leading men, young leading men, uh, juveniles, character juveniles. That's what I was designed as. I couldn't get an agent. And that's just code for Semitic. You know, because in those days, the leading man was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and the ethnic person was a character juvenile or character ingenue. It really was that way. Anyway, so I went out a few times I could, you know, go to open auditions, because if you're not equity, then you can't go to a a regular audition. And you can't go to a regular audition until you get your equity card. You can't get an equity card until you get a job. So, you know, catch 22. So the few times that I could go, it was the character uh, juvenile. And by hook or crook, uh, Nichols casts uh, Catherine Ross and I in The Graduate. And uh, I'd been just starting to get somewhere off Broadway doing you know, my own style of stuff. A hunchback German gay guy with a limp. You know. <laughs> First thing that I got mentioned for uh, in, the, in, in the New York Times. And uh, Nichols had heard about it, and, uh, and I got the You're not kidding. You played a hunchback German, gay... German homosexual. German homosexual. Them, right. uh, with a limp. Ronald Ribbon. What was the production? Harry, Noon, and Night. And the other actor was... Uh, 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 what's his name? Joel... Joel, Joel Gray. Joel Gray. Sorry. Joel. Uh, 
Yes, that was uh, accurate. So uh, he brings me out to test me, and I didn't want to test. I was doing, for the first time in my life, doing well off Broadway. I won an award, and I thought, oh, I'll have a career. You know, I'll do, I'll do off Broadway. And you know this as well as I do. Uh, you know, if God has, has said, look, Alec, uh, you'll never uh, be in a movies. You'll never get leading roles if you're struggling for years. You won't even be on Broadway. I will guarantee you a good part off Broadway for the rest of your life. You'd sign. You would. Maybe. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so would a Hackman, who moved furniture up and down, you know, six flights, and Duval, who worked midnight to eight in the post office, and I was doing waiter jobs and a little acting teaching if I could. And it's, you know, it's never changed. All, if there's actors here, you know the pain of that. Um, and uh, here he is now taking me out to L.A. and testing. And can we do anything about his nose, I remember? <laughs> and I'm in, well, the guy is, uh, he said, you don't, and he couldn't believe it. I mean, he's the hottest director from Neil Simon uh, Broadway and also <coughs> uh, Virginia Woolf, he did. Uh, there was no hotter director at that moment in time. Uh, he was Spielberg. And he said, what do you mean you don't want to do this part? I said, I read the book of Mr. Nichols. It was on the phone. He's in LA. I'm in New York doing a play. I said, Benjamin Braddock in the book. He's five foot 11, blonde hair. I says, it's Redford. I said, you don't want me. And he said, no. He says, I, I, I would like to test you. He says, you mean he's not Jewish? I said, right, it's Benjamin Braddock. And he said something I've never forgotten. He says, well, maybe he's Jewish inside. <laughs> Years later, he's from Berlin. Uh, Mike, he came here in the early 30s. And uh, he had his own pain because he didn't have a lot of hair. He had, had scarlet fever. And uh, <clears throat> he, he, not too long ago, just a few years ago, I read in the paper that he never understood why he cast me, and then he finally did through an analysis or something, and he said, because I was like an alter ego of him. He felt like he was me in, uh, you know, uh, on the periphery, you know, out of it, and he was casting himself, the funny-looking guy. Do you know that that movie was shot? And I went back to New York to collect unemployment. It was a lot, because, you know, it was 50 bucks a week. It's getting the most you could get. And they're cutting the movie. Again, I read this in the newspapers. And uh, Lawrence Terman, I think it was the New York Times, a producer, they're showing it all over the Bel Air <coughs> circuit. Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Brentwood, on the movie uh, theaters they have in the homes. And over and over again, Terman said, before it opened, and over and over again, People in the industry would come up to Larry and say, what a brilliant film you almost had if you hadn't miscast the lead. <laughs> and that was the perception. You know, it's interesting because speaking of that casting thing, he and I have had a little, uh, there was a whiff of this, of this, of my appreciation of his career. And you might not remember this, I doubt you remember this, but I go to the old Westwood Marquis Hotel because I get called to go and audition for the movie Hero. Oh. And Stephen Frears is the director, and the phone rings. And this is back when I was making films in the 90s and everything, and I'm lighting one off the other, and I'm going to meet this guy. And I'm like, I'm in my car. I'm like, God, I'm going to 
checkmates is they're going to go to the Westwood Marquis and they just lay out the facts. They're like, you know, snap out of it. You're going to go to the Westwood Marquis, you're going to meet Stephen Frears, and you're going to have a meeting with Dustin Hoffman. I'm like, God, 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 God. I love this guy. I want to make this movie with this guy. And all of a sudden, like 20 minutes goes by, and Stephen Frears, now if you know the movie Hero, where someone commits this act, and there's a case of mistaken identity, and Andy Garcia played the other role. So there has to be this case of mistaken identity between the two actors. Stephen Frears, literally 20 minutes in, I mean, my dream is just taking flight. My wings, <laughs> I'm flying over the Westwood Marquis Hotel. I'm gonna make my first movie with Dustin Effen Hoffman. And Stephen Frears looks at me and goes, you know, I just realized that you don't look anything like Dustin at all. <laughs> And it was like, there I'm flying, all of a sudden, <laughs> he shoots my balloon, and I crash onto Westwood Boulevard, I'm dead on the highway there. I'll never forget, you talk about, yeah, I'm, 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 our dreams, our dreams, how they, how they escape us. It's but, now called the M, right? Right, right. Yeah, in Westwood. Though. But the, um, exactly. When you do, when you show up and you work with Schlesinger and you do Cowboy, do you, do you come up with all that and you show him? Did he help you? Did you? Cowboy, very briefly, he didn't want, it's very similar to Freer's and you, he did not want to see me because he had seen The Graduate. And that's the only thing he'd ever seen me in. And he was an artist. He didn't give a shit that I was in a big hit and suddenly an instant star. He wanted the right person and he refused to see me. And I heard about this. And I had read the book. I thought the uh, script was okay. It was Waldo Salt. We, he actually came in a room with, in, with John Voigt and I when we did it and he had a wall and sack tape recorder. We improvised everything. Everything. The Schlesinger was great at that. And he would go home, uh, Wallace Well, and write the improvisations into the scenes that he'd already written. Anyway, he wouldn't see me. And I said, please, uh, you know, I, 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 I got to see him. He's got to see me. And he agreed. I know we're running out of time, so I'll go quick. Uh, 42nd Street. Uh, what do they call those things where you, you go and you put the quarter in? I can't remember. The automat. The automat. Thank you. And uh, I, I says, uh, <laughs> the Ottoman. I'm going to direct a movie of him playing a cop. <laughs> you all heard it. <laughs> go ahead. And I used to go there, and we all did, you know, two, three in the morning, whatever, uh, and uh, get coffee, whatever. And it was all kind of trance uh, uh, people there. And I said, I, uh, I'll meet him in the automat, and I want to do it about one or two in the morning because, you know, and I'll dress accordingly, which is what I did, a kind of coat like I wore in uh, that scene at Raincoat. And I didn't shave for a few days, and I greased my hair. I was auditioning. And I came in and, and I just uh, met him there, sat there, and he looked at me and he looked at, you know, sparsely crowded, you know, uh, people around. He says, oh, he says, yes, I think you'll do quite well. <laughs> so the voice and all of it, you just throw that out there. You come up with that. Oh, it, well, yeah, you keep trying. You're going to meet my friend, though, Daniel. My friend, though, Daniel. You're too kind. Where do you find this? Oh, you get desperate. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. That's my problem. I wasn't desperate enough. <laughs> no, no, 
and uh, we're, we're, re we're rehearsing, and then uh, Schlesinger has to uh, shoot some exteriors before we start shooting uh, principal photography, because he's got winter and he needed winter. So John Voigt and I go, and he says, well, you don't have to talk. I says, I don't have a character, I don't have a voice. I said, I can't, I barely have a walk. No, we'll have the camera across the street, you guys just gotta walk. We're not s starting for a month, but we just need the weather, you know, the smoke coming out, whatever. Okay, so John Voigt and I were walking, and John Voigt and I knew each other for years. I was the assistant director, which is like, you know, sharpening pencils in the off-Broadway when he was in View from the Bridge with Bob Duval, he was brilliant. And he was up-and-coming star, and, uh, and, you know, we were competitive. Uh, actors are always competitive. And, uh, you know, we, if you're walking down the street, you got a script, you have a reading, or, or you did the reading, you see another actor coming over, you've always put it behind your back, you know. <laughs> so, but no, it's just something, you know, because you don't want the competition. Uh, anyway, so we're across the street walking, and says, all oh, you have to do is walk. I says, yeah, but I'm supposed to cough. We're at that point in the movie where, you know, he's got, you're going to find out he has TB or whatever. He says, yes. Schlesinger says, all right, you do some coughing, do some not coughing, but you don't have to talk. I said, okay. I'm rehearsing out of panic, you know, trying on these, these, these limps or whatever. And uh, I, I said, shouldn't be shooting. We got a month to go. I haven't found them yet. And suddenly we're walking and we pause and I'm <coughs> trying to cough and I threw up. <laughs> Literally on John Voight's cowboy boots. <laughs> and afterwards, uh, Susan says, I think we've got it. Uh, you did. <laughs> and John, because he's an actor and you know, we're competitive, he, Schlesinger told me later, he went up to uh, Schlesinger and he said, John, let me just ask you something. Is he going to do that all throughout the movie? <laughs> he says, because I'm not even in the scene if he does. <laughs> well, let, let, let me just say this, because obviously, I, I mean, I got another 45 questions I could ask, but they do have a schedule here for the festival. But I do want to say, I mean, as, as, uh, as sappy as this sounds, on, on behalf of everybody here, I want to say, Thank you to you because uh, I, I mean, I really, from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of my heart, you are one of the greatest movie actors that has ever lived in the history of this world. You are one of the greatest movie actors ever. And you've done so many great shows. Please help me in thanking Dustin Hoffman, everyone. Dustin Hoffman has gained some hard-won wisdom during his career. And despite turning 78 this summer, he's embracing a very new way to share it. He's teaching an acting class online. The description reads, Dustin teaches you everything he wishes someone had taught him. You can sign up at masterclass.com. This is Alec Baldwin. Thanks this week to Sean Cameron and everyone at Turner Classic Movies. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 